Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. What a joy to be with all of you, PCC. You know, um, even though I live half an hour south, I tune in online to your gatherings, and it's one of my happy places. I listen to you when I'm washing the dishes, when I'm driving around, um, and I, I love how God assigns me a passage for you to preach, and he just like does like the deepest work in me. On behalf of my husband and three kids, um, just I bring you greetings, and I'm so glad to be here. Um, today I'll be preaching a message called Shame Undone in Psalm 51. I know shame is a bit of a heavier topic, um, but as I followed along with you throughout the series, more than a feeling, um, I feel like we've, haven't you all grown so much through learning to identify emotions using these journals? Um, I know I have. I appreciate that video um, with, the, with Paul, the police officer, um, because I think he teased out um, so much of what we've learned to do in this series. The name, the feeling, tame it, understand it. Shame is, is complicated for us because A, we all experience it, but it's one of those deeply personal, kind of vulnerable emotions that we don't actually unpack a lot as a culture. Now, part of the reason why is because the pretext of shame is that someone is making us feel judged. Someone is making us feel bad for something that's going on. Maybe it's our boss, a spouse, friends, but they might notice something about our lives, and then we and something that actually makes us feel something negative, and then we internalize it. Now, I'm Chinese-American, and I um, just want to draw a few examples from culture before I dive into our passage. But when I was a campus minister in Boston years ago, I had a student who was Korean-American, and he was the 36th firstborn male in his family. So he was like the firstborn male of the firstborn male for 36 generations. And he goes, Tina. Do you have any idea how much pressure I face? And, and like we all laugh, and we were like, who's counting that much? Like they, they were keeping score. And then um, in, in Chinese culture, um, I was raised in a three-generational, you know, three intergenerational household with grandparents, parents, and us. And uh, we, we all knew that if anyone did anything wrong, it reflected on the entire family. And so um, we were raised to perform <laughs> incredibly well, and I remember the time my younger sister was at a piano performance and froze up, and she couldn't finish the song, and we were all like, oh, Tiff, <laughs> but like, Asian shame is real, um, or I think about in, in even Japanese culture, and this is a little bit kind of an intense image, but um, samurai would voluntarily, you know, kill themselves rather than bring dishonor to the emperor if they failed. Um, the good news today, and there is good news, is that um, the biblical context is also one of honor and shame. And so God, through Jesus and through Jesus' ancestor David, King David of Israel, who committed some major sin, teaches us how do we undo the shame that we inevitably face and feel. We learn in Psalm 51 how to name the shame, kind of that icky, bad feeling that you carry within yourself, and tame it by clarifying the cause, like sifting out, just like that police officer Paul did, like what is going on? Is there real guilt involved? 
Is there sin? Who's responsible? Sifting that out. And then learning to claim God's help for cleansing by going in with a contrite heart. We'll talk about this because it all starts from the heart. And then proclaiming God's restoration to begin again and not lose yourself in the shame. So let me start off by just reading a bit of Psalm 51. If you'll open with me to Psalm 51. So David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And he picks up in verse 7 and 9. Cleanse me with hyssop, which is a ceremonial plant, a plant used for ceremonial cleansing, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Over the holidays, I was uh, with my in-laws in the Midwest, and uh, some of my kids were having a problem that is sometimes seen with a lot of shame. They were, I think because of the time change, new environment, they were wetting the bed. And so inevitably, in the middle of the night, uh, two of my kids would be like, Mom, I wet the bed. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. And I would stumble bleary-eyed to the linen closet. And my in-laws, for whatever reason, don't use fabric softener or um, dryer sheets. So those washcloths are like, they chafe. <laughs> and I would, I would like, in the middle of the night, like blot out all the bedwetting. And then, and, then in the, and then in the morning, there would be like, you got to strip the sheets. And I would spray on like the 50% vinegar, 50% water thing to kind of neutralize the odor. And then, um, and then just like, let, let it sit. But... My in-laws are great because they don't make us feel bad or make our kids feel bad, but they don't make us feel bad for what might be probably, you know, our problem. Um, but the thing is with bedwetting, there's not really sin involved. Like, my, our pediatrician was like, don't worry, this is normal, it is common until this age. And I'm like, okay, we're not even there yet, good. Um, it, there's nothing wrong. But if our kids are feeling bad, it's because we're making them feel bad about it, Right? So part of what we have to do in this, as we're finishing this series, is master the art of learning to sift out the emotion. Like, what are you feeling and why? And is it legitimate? Now, part of the problem is, in our culture, we, we might use guilt and shame interchangeably. But Brene Brown, in her book, Atlas of the Heart, distinguishes between shame and guilt. So, guys, guilt is focused on the behavior. Like, I did something wrong. Like, I ran the red light. I was texting while driving, this is wrong, right? Shame is when you're like, I've done those things, I am bad. Like, I am just not a good human being. Like, I, I'm just a screw-up. Like, you internalize it, and then you, you bring it inward. Now, guilt, they say, you can deal with, and it will actually motivate positive change. Like, you can deal with it, grow through it. Shame, you can't really, because it kind of nests in your soul, and it resides there. Now, let's go back to David for a moment. What happens is in his psalm, he says this, verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Like, David is dealing with shame because he's dealing with guilt. Like, and he says it later, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. 
And I appreciate that Scott and Brian were both kind of prefacing this passage, Psalm 51, because David even says it in the superscription, like those tiny words under the top of the psalm. He writes that he wrote this when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David is a broken man who sees a woman, gets with her, then she gets pregnant, and to cover up what he's done, he calls home her husband to try to convince him to go home, sleep with his wife, to cover up what he's done. Uriah is such a good, upright soldier that he refuses to go home. He stays right by David's gate. He doesn't go home. So the next day, David tries again. He's like, I'll send him home with presents. <laughs> he tries again, go home, sleep with your wife. He refuses. So David, to cover that up, sends him with a letter he writes by his own hand to battle so that he will die because the fighting is fiercest at the front lines, and Uriah dies. And then David takes home Bathsheba, and she has a baby. This is a, sometimes the Bible is a little understated, and there's this verse that describes this between 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And I'm like, the thing? Singular? Like, there's like five things, you know? It's like, you're like, so what do you do, though, when you're like a major prominent figure and you've like royally screwed up? And, and you can't get it out of your head. That's the thing. David knows better. He knows better. He knows better. So he writes this, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David, broken man, is also, he knows, this is not just an offense against Uriah, Bathsheba, like their family, not just against society, you know, the morals and values. It's also against like a moral code that God institutes. Because in that era, political leaders were allowed to have multiple wives. It was seen as advantageous. You know, and so he could have said, like, it's justifiable, everyone's doing it, but he knows better. So in the book of Leviticus, which is a code about how people ought to live, it's funny because there's two types of sin. Some of you guys might not have heard this before. There's all the things you do when you sin by accident, like unintentionally. There's, there's sacrifices you make, there's animals to slaughter, because life happens, and the author of Leviticus, Moses, knows that sin happens, guilt happens, then there's a guilt offering. But David knows there's this whole other category of sin in Leviticus, and it's for the sins that you commit intentionally. And the consequences for those are much higher. For adultery, the consequence is death. David should die for what he did, and he knows that. And so that's why he writes this, verse 16 and 17. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And I think this is where I feel like David's heart breaks. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. It's interesting, when I was doing my kid bedwetting, blotting thing, I was going through a lot in my own life and like sifting through, why did I feel so bad about the last year? There's lots of reasons for it. But as I was sifting, 
And as I was talking to my in-laws about what was going on, my, my father-in-law, Ed, who's a really wise man, he's a businessman, he goes, Tina, when I do something wrong, I got three rules. Number one, feel sorry in your heart. Number two, try to make it right. Number three, try not to do it again. And what's brilliant about this is that I think that's exactly what Psalm 51 teaches us to do. And it says that when you've done wrong, the first thing you must do is feel sorry in your heart. To actually let it go in deep. Ah, I did something wrong. And to feel that way. But do what you can to make it right and try not to do it again. Okay, let me just say this. When our kids um, were you know, having their stuff with us, all they knew how to do was to say, I need help. <laughs> like, they don't know how to do the shower. Like, they don't know how to do the laundry. Like, they don't know how much liquid you put in the cap. You pour it on, turn the knob. Like, they don't know how to do it. All they know to do is say, I have to go to you, and I need your help. It's interesting. David goes, he's like, surely I was sinful at birth. Like, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's trying to understand, like, why did I do this thing, you know? And no one thinks about the psychology of David, but he was the youngest of, I think, what, eight guys? You know, I don't know how much attention he got, but there was something deep within him that was broken that would look to other people to satisfy that. But he writes, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb, even in that secret place. And when we think about, frankly, the universality, like, Everyone has stuff in their life they're working out. We all get it from somewhere, and sometimes we think it's from our parents, it's from our culture, it's everyone else's fault but mine. But what happens with David is he's like, I know better. I should not have done that. And so he goes to God for help. He goes to God for help the way my kids come to me. Mom, I peed in my pants. Like, all he can do is say, this is what happened. Can you help me clean it up? So his what, what he does is he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David knew he had totally messed up and David knew the only way to get this right is to go to God. What's funny is we don't do that. Naturally, we, we, we hide. You know, the Japanese samurai, he kills himself. The Korean-born, first-born male internalizes the pressure and just probably overperforms. The Chinese person just thinks, I just got to succeed, and I cannot bring shame on the family. Brene Brown does this amazing thing where she goes, shame is the birthplace of perfectionism because you're trying to cover up that you're not okay. But you can't. So perfectionism is like you're trying to prove to other people like you're really good and you can do a good job. But when we live for other people's approval, we inevitably fall down these doom loops and spiral down into places that are bad. I only know this because I've done this so much. As soon as something gets said about me that is, I feel like, oh, that's not true. Like the perfectionistic part of me is like, no, no. And the shame part of me wants to show up and die. My husband goes, Tina, you go down this doom loop, Asian perfection and shame. But in scripture, in scripture, it says this. We are competent not in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Our competence comes from God. Therefore, we have such a hope and we are very bold. 
and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So instead of doom loops where you spiral down and you internalize, I've done something wrong at work, at home, and I feel crappy about myself, instead of that, you have to say to the Lord, Lord, create me a clean heart. Like, take me from this place. Like, you know what I did? Make me new again. Like, help me let go. I need to be cast off of that. Cleanse me. Is this tracking? Are you guys tracking? Okay. When we go to that place of shame, it's egocentric. It's self-oriented. You can't get out of your head. You can't figure out what you have done. But the place of grace and where God wants to take us to say, everyone's done this. You're not the only one. But I have more for you. I can break this for you. I can clean up your pee stain when it happens over and over. I have the solution. I know what spray bottle to take from the kitchen cupboard. And I, it's my job. Guys, after David and Bathsheba had their baby, David pleaded with God for the child's life. The baby died. The son died. Because the punishment for adultery is death. But in the same way, God, our father, the one we go to when we're like, I peed in my pants. God is like, I will give you my son to die for your sin and your shame. I will undo it for you. Do you understand? That's the gospel. We all have sin and shame. It will take all of us to despair unless we can follow God and trust him that he's transforming and renewing us and wanting to bring forth glory. It's so funny. I had... I had I had so little anxiety preparing this because a few weeks ago, a former church asked me to preach like last minute, and I was like, oh, I'm working on this for you guys. But this was a, a church I had served that had done us um, harm, and we had been really hurt. But I realized over the last five years, gosh, I've done people harm. I've hurt them too. Over the last five years, God did this beautiful thing in my heart where he was like, we've all done things that have hurt people, but God forgives us. Actually, I think the PCC staff, whenever they talk to me, they're always like, oh, that's not so bad, Tina. Like, their empathy has changed my life. And Brene Brown says that. She says that because shame is a relational feeling we suffer with, it's interpersonal, the antidote is also healed socially through empathy. As we understand and find that common ground, that universality, like we're all this way, regardless of culture, personality, you know, particularly, we all, we all sin. We all fall short. And yet there's this gift of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord, to forgive us. Empathy is where it heals. Empathy is saying to that Korean-American student, I'm sorry you're the 36th firstborn male. I think you're going to do great in life, you know? And he did. You know, it's saying to you, I can tell you about my deepest shame because it's been undone through Jesus. That's a miracle. And, and then we can do that for other people when they suffer with shame and they go down the doom loop and you're like, no, no, ask for glory spirals. Like, come with me to a better place where it's okay because God has done the work of undoing your shame in Jesus. I have a little bit of time left, but I want to just remind you of um, the story of Simon Peter. Simon Peter is one of my favorite characters in scripture. And Simon Peter, the night Jesus is betrayed, like royally screws up. And he, people start asking him, Simon Peter, 
aren't you one of his followers? You know, Jesus is about to get, you know, crucified. Don't you know him? And he's like, no, 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 I don't. He does it three times. No, no, no. And then the rooster crows. We all know this story, right? What's fascinating is that Judas, who betrays Jesus, sells him for 30 pieces of silver so that Jesus gets arrested. Poor Judas goes down the doom loop of shame and kills himself. But I think Jesus is so committed to Peter that he's like, I got to make sure this guy doesn't do that. So he goes to him after the resurrection and in front of all of the other disciples, he publicly reinstates him. He says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Simon, son of John, oh, then he says, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I already just told you twice. Feed my sheep three times to undo the three times that could have landed in poor Peter's heart. Three times Jesus says to him again, listen, I know you will fall, but get up. I have work for you to do. You're not disqualified. Peter, I know you've sinned. I I know you denied me. It's okay. Repent. I got work for you to do. There's churches to take care of, people to take care of. When you stumble, stand up, Peter. I've got work for you. And I want everyone around you to hear it. I'm still giving you this job. Do you understand? Proverbs 24, 16 says, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. I think I was saying with someone earlier, I was like, I feel like I've made big mistakes five times. And then he's like, who's counting? (laughs) But oh my gosh, seven times. That's part of the hope we have. Sinners saved by grace, called to be saints on a journey. The gospel tells the truth about us. The The gospel tells the truth. We are sinful, we are saved by grace. And so at the end of Psalm 51, um, there can be something very different at the end. David has gone through the entirety of naming the shame, taming the shame, claiming God's help for cleansing, and then he can proclaim God's restoration. There's There's a Hindu proverb that says this, to know, read. To learn, write, but to master, teach. And what happens at the end of Psalm 51 is David writes this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And then I will teach transgressors your ways. And other sinners will return to you. Then he says, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. See, on the other side of guilt and shame, on the other side of that contrite heart, on the other side there can be teaching other people how to go to God, just as you are, with the things you know you've done that you wish you hadn't done, but it happens, and keep on going again, like Peter, 
called again for God's purposes. At the end, there's a restoration of the system because one man repented. And that's the hope that we have. In a world where we know there's brokenness, it starts in your heart. It starts with you. It starts with blotting out someone else's messes and realizing, gosh, my chafed knuckles are like what you've done for me. Like you're doing it for me, and I'm doing it for my kids. And as we do this, we can see God healing our world. So as we close up, um, I just want to give us some time for silence. If you have a journal that you've been going through, um, you can pull it out. Where is there shame in your life that you can't seem to get rid of? You know, where are there things that in your past that kind of haunt you that you want cleansing and freedom from? PCC, I, I pray that as we help each other kind of sift through, has there actually been sin involved or is this just like, and if there is, to really confess it? Let's help each other go to God with that contrite heart where you just feel sorry in your heart and learn to begin again as he cleanses us. Jesus undoes our shame. He is so amazing. We speak of him. Would that be our prayer? God, thank you so much for this time. God, I pray just your powerful work in this community. Um, Take us from this place into glory spirals with you as you transform us. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.